From a cubicle at Initech, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men who know what PC load letter means, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. So I have two things that I'm just going to start off. First of all, I'm not interested in seeing the new RoboCop. I'll wait until it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray. I know you're probably going to go and see it. I don't want to see it. Don't care. Uh, we're going to be talking about a new Blu-ray release, by the way. They finally said it's the Blu-ray release of the new one, or the old one, and the new Blu-ray release of the original. Um, and uh, I don't want to see the new one. I want to see the old one. Actually, the old one... Who plays RoboCop in the new film? Some guy. See, exactly. My Kinnaman. See, exactly. Steve Kinnaman. It's like, like when Peter, Kinnaman. Peter Weller was a guy in what the original Robocop. Who cares? But Peter, Weller, care. Peter Weller was, he was, he was, he was, you know. Uh, Just tell me a story. That's all I care about. All that other stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, tell but, it, me a but story. it matters. The actor matters. Okay. Because when Peter Weller played Robocop, he was, you know, he was, uh, he was, uh, what's it, with the fifth dimension. The, the, Bagrubanzai. Bagrubanzai, thank I, you. I haven't seen the new Robocop. Maybe this guy's great. Oh, Maybe yeah, I'm sure he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The best thing about it is that, like, uh, the little He's got. He looks like a cross between uh, Knight Rider and Cylons, uh, mixed with a little bit of Robocop. Right, it's ridiculous. Watch, watch the movie. Stop. Don't, don't, don't goof on until you see it. Terrible. Who directed it? Some guy. The guy that did all the, 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 the those French action films, Elite Squad. That that guy. Whatever. He's Somebody. not. He's not Verhoeven. It's just. It's horrible. It's not horrible. You it's haven't dreadful. seen it. How can, you, how can you condemn it? You I haven't seen it. I just know. Yet. I just know. I feel it in my bones. Well, let's see. It's like when it's going to rain, you know. I feel it, and I feel it in my in my injuries. If you if you look extremity. at Rotten now, here's the thing: if you look at Rotten Tomatoes and you fully expect on Rotten Tomatoes that thing to have like a zero, right? Yes. No, it, that's not true. It actually has a fifty-six percent. What does RoboCop fifty-six almost fresh? Yeah, whatever. That is four percentage points away from being fresh. By the way, would people just lay off of Woody Allen already? Could I say that? I know this is a controversial thing. It was like twenty freaking years ago. He and Sunya have been married for sixteen years. He didn't molest anybody. That's BS. I'm saying it right here. It's a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of crap. Although there was an interesting article in um, something. Yeah, he, he <laughs> he's, he's alleged to have not, not a pattern of molestation of many people or even a pattern of molestation of one. He's alleged to have molested her on one occasion, only one time, at the very moment when he needed to be on his best behavior, especially towards her because they were in a custody battle. Are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? Come on. Why isn't this just like insanely obvious to everybody? Well, actually, Vanity Fair. It was Vanity Fair. Oh they gosh. did a thing called 10 Undeniable Facts About the Woody Allen Sex Abuse Allegation. And I have an issue with that Vanity Fair case yes. uh, piece. Go ahead. Read some of those. Uh, because, because it's not that those facts are undeniable. It's that they don't give you any additional details about them. I was working at Entertainment Today 20 years ago. You know, I was sitting there at the editor's desk. This stuff was in my face every day. So I had to like familiarize myself with all the gory, disgusting details of this thing. And it's just at a certain point, you just go, you've got to be kidding me. And it's like the Vanity Fair thing. People are just like dredging these things up. Read, read a couple of them. And I'll tell you, and I'll give you the, I'll take the spin away. Uh, Mia never went to the police about the allegation of sexual abuse. Yeah, she went to the pediatrician who had to go to the police. You know, what the, you know why that's important? Because the police will not take a person's word for it. They take a doctor's word for it. Okay, so big deal. So she went to the doctor, had the, the, the had her daughter give the rehearsed story to the doctor, so the doctor told the police, so it sounded more official. Okay, okay so it makes her a little bit more conniving. Big deal. Oh, Next. Yeah. Alan had been in therapy for alleged inappropriate behavior towards dealing with a child psychologist before the abuse allegation was presented to the authorities or made public. Inappropriate behavior does not mean molestation. In point of fact, one year before... 
he and Mia agreed that he would adopt Dylan. Mia commented to a doctor that he was having inappropriate behavior toward her. The, Meaning, now inappropriate behavior to Mia doesn't mean molestation, but suddenly when Woody says inappropriate, it means molestation. Inappropriate meant he was favoring her over the other kids. Well, we and it was causing an imbalance only, in the family. The only thing about Woody's statement that made me curious was what it didn't say. He, oh, he said, I didn't molest Dylan. He never said, I didn't inappropriately touch Dylan. I didn't touch Dylan in any of her private areas. It was always just, I didn't molest her. No, that's what he was alleged to have done. That's what she alleged. She was seven at the time. You give me a, a detailed account of anything from when you were seven. Go ahead, right now. I, I can tell you like things I did when I was seven. I cannot give you an exact event with any kind of detail. And, uh, and Ronan was four. Give me a break. Uh, I don't remember anything when I was four. I remember like some Spanish gardener and he was a nice guy. That's all I remember. Uh, let's see. Should I read one more? Go ahead. Uh, the state attorney said publicly he did have probable cause to press charges against Allen, but declined due to the fragility of the child victim. BS. Absolute BS. That's face-saving. That's, that's, that's an attorney who's lying to you. Do you know any attorney who would say, yes, I would love to put this uh, molester behind bars so that no one gets molested again, but I think I'm going to not do it just because she's so fragile, so we'll let him go molest somebody again. There's no way, especially if you have a chance to put a celebrity away. You have a chance to like take down a celebrity. They never miss that chance. That's face-saving BS. He had no cause to do a case. He's just trying to back out gracefully without admitting that he had no case. That's crock. There's not a prosecutor in the country that would actually uh, follow through with that kind of reasoning. That's laughable. Give me another one. <laughs> laughable. You're on a roll? I'm on a roll. Um, let's see. Allen subsequently lost four exhaustive court battles, a lawsuit, a disciplinary charge against the prosecutor, and two appeals, and was made to pay more than a million dollars in Mia's legal fees. Mm-hmm. Judge Wilk is the one responsible for all that. Look up Judge Wilk. And uh, who, who died in like 2004 or five or something like that. Judge Wilk was certifiable lunatic. The guy was was known for uh, over for n- not just over sentencing, but for going off the books. He violated the law with impunity. And actually, he's a guy that like n- took down Bob Guccione. He loved to like knock down the rich and the famous. He had a portrait of Che Guevara on his office wall. Are you kidding me? A guy with Che Guevara on his office wall is supposed to tell me? Uh, I mean, spare me. Really, truly spare me. He's one of those lunatic New York State judges. I'm not the least bit interested. Honestly, it, it just, it, the, the whole thing is just, it's so psychotic. It's just such a psychotic thing. And it wouldn't have actually come up again if Mia weren't just like, she were tweeting during the Golden Globes because she's just like a bitter wretch. Get over it. They're showing the clip from your movie. Who cares? Enjoy it. I wonder if they had to get her permission oh, to show that clip. They did. They did. They she, had to get her permission? Yeah, so why absolutely. Would get, why would she get permission? It's Weedy, Robert Weedy, who did the, the, the Woody Allen documentary. That was what he wrote. He, at, he was afraid she might not give permission. They had an alternate cut of the montage ready because they didn't expect Mia to give her permission for any of her clips. And she did. And they were surprised. And they're like, great. And then she goes tweeting all that crap during the Golden because Globes. The, because that's, that was the trap. That was the trap. I mean, if that doesn't tell you that this, this woman... I mean, dude, the Valentine... You know the Valentine, right? I, I do not. You don't know about all this? Uh, you're you about to tell me. Oh, my gosh, you didn't follow this? The, the Valentine's Day, after all this stuff completely hit the fan, which would have been, like, 93, Valentine's Day, 1993, she sent Woody a Valentine, which was a picture of the family, with little scissors stuck into the hearts of every single one of the children, and then in the middle of her heart was, like, a giant dagger and a picture of Sun Yi taped around the, the handle of the dagger. 
That's like serial killer behavior. Are you kidding me? She's boiling his bunny. That's like, that's cr- exactly, that's crazy stuff. This is, this, I mean, look, I'm not saying Woody is perfectly well adjusted. I'm just saying he's not a criminal. You know, these people need to take this crap private again. They're trying to, that's the one. There it is. Isn't that insane? Are you kidding me? Yeah, the New York Daily News. If, if Are you, you kidding me? If you do Google for Mia Farrow Jeez. Valentine's Day card, the New York Daily News has a shot of it. It was on 60 Minutes Overtime. Psychotic. I, don't, I want this stuff to go just back away. They're trying to sabotage Kate Blanchett's very deserved Academy Award, and I hope she wins it, and I hope The Hunt wins Best Foreign Language Film, because that's exactly what it's about. Okay. You All know right, what? enough of this. I, I have a question. Yes, sir. Would you like to try the worst ice cream I've ever made? Oh, gosh. Okay, fine. Now, I'm only go, giving Go fetch you... it. I'll start off on KidVid. Hang on. Oh, thank God. Um, I'm only giving you a spoonful of this. I'll tell you why. Okay. Because this ice it. cream is horrible. All right. And I don't want to waste a whole cup when I know you're going to hate it. Okay. This thing has four ingredients. Do it. Uh, cream. Yeah. Uh, saffron threads. Yes. Which you can't even see anymore. Okay. I think they melted or something. Coconut milk, mm-hmm. and uh, instead of sugar, I use coconut palm sugar. Okay. So I'm going to give. I don't you even a know what that is, but we'll go with it. And you will taste it, and then you will tell me whether it is bad as I think it is. So I'm going to say Justice League War, which is another one of these DC Universe original movies that they keep doing. They, you know, seriously, they need to just get these people to do the live action movies. These things are so consistently better than the, the live action stuff, it just blows my mind. Uh, you get this on DVD or a Blu-ray DVD and ultraviolet combo. I say get it on the combo um, because you can watch it just about anywhere at any time and, and the kids will love it. Um, here's what I love about this. Number one, it gives I me a sense... Try this. It gives me a sense of what they're going to do with the... That wasn't long enough. Tell me how bad this is. is. What a... Isn't that just bizarre? It's terrible, right? Ew. Right? Ew. I know. I don't know what happened. That's the worst ever, right? That tastes like glue. <laughs> what the, what the I hell? I don't know. What the hell's wrong with it? Wrong. Oh my gosh. It tastes wrong. Okay, so it I feel like I feel like you just gave me a spoonful of spackle. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something happened. It's like, <laughs> I feel like coconut ice cream somehow was in Ew. like that. that oh, God. Mm. All right. My goodness. Well, don't throw it away. You might need to, you know, mount tile or something. I'm sure I'll have some home repair project that that could come in useful. Anyway, uh, Justice League War, based on a graphic novel, by the way, a Justice League origin graphic novel, which I am unfamiliar with. But, um, and you get a sneak peek at the next animated movie, which is called Son of Batman. But this is pretty terrific, i got to admit. Really well written, really well conceived. Gives you a good idea of what they're going to try to do with Wonder Woman, by the way. Uh, in terms of the way they're going to kind of fashion her for the uh, Superman-Batman movie. And then a uh, nice thing here is the Captain Marvel, otherwise known as television Shazam, uh, shows up here too, which is, which is pretty great. Um, I think they, you know, that's something that I have a feeling is in the offing at some point. So anyway, that's definitely really cool. I think very well written, really interesting, and uh, gives you a sense of sort of what they might be able to do if the people doing these things were doing the, uh, the feature films and, and uh, you know... The Justice League movie might actually come of something. A, a couple of J- Disney Junior titles here. We, I think we, we've got... Um, let me uh, pull these out. Um, uh, the first one is uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse Super Adventure. I can't exactly say I'm fond of these because I think the animation is horrible. 
I don't think it's uh, it's true to the uh, the Disney uh, legacy, but they really shoot these things out. They computer animate them, and they're not terribly well written, but they're intended for really super young children. Uh, so I, I will I will be moderately forgiving of it. The thing is, I got the recipe off of uh, David Leibowitz's site, and David Leibowitz is great. Mm-hmm. All of his, he actually wrote a book that I bought called The Perfect Scoop. Yeah. And he, had, he, he, he uh, adapted the recipe from somebody else's recipe. I'm sure he did. But uh, I just, I, I and just somewhere, knew it was some, terrible. Somewhere uh, one of those home improvement shows, their, their, their recipe. You for... know what? I'm going on his side. Right? You talk about kid vid crap okay. that I don't care about. And uh, I'm going to go on his side right now and complain. All right. We're going to fly I'm right through kidding. this. Jake and the Neverland Pirates, uh, Neverland Rescue. This is a feature-length adventure, again, from D- Disney Junior. And uh, it's a cute enough show. You know, it's... Uh, it it all it's kind of all you know Peter Panish and they uh, they you know it's somewhat faithful to the the whole Peter Pan lore so I you know if you're it's it's got a following I guess um, I had I was completely unfamiliar with Henry Huggle Monster this is Henry Huggle Monster meet the Huggle Monsters and uh, it becomes quite clear just a little bit into this that this is intended for children probably younger even than my daughter uh, because she just found this utterly uninteresting, kind of scary in fact. And it's it's like a weird kind of animated bug creature way of going off of all of those other creepy live action things like, well, Teletubbies is not creepy. I love the Teletubbies. But all the things that the Teletubbies kind of inspired where you know you got a bunch of characters, and they're all about all different colors, and they're weird looking, and they make funny sounds. It's it's more of that kind of stuff. Uh, six episodes here. It you know super young kids probably won't get overly creeped out. I got creeped out, and uh, the older you are, I think the uh, the more creepy you find it. Uh, PBS Kids. I love dinosaurs. Pretty awesome. I like cute dinosaurs, and this is all about cute dinosaurs. And um, because this, of course, comes from PBS and the Jim Henson people, it's educational at the same time. And I appreciate that. Uh, pretty well written, decently animated, and uh, this is, of course, part of the Dinosaur Train series. Maybe it's because here's the thing. Yes, you're supposed to use palm sugar. Yeah, but I use coconut palm sugar, and I'm wondering if palm sugar and coconut palm sugar are a lot different. That's the worst. I was going to make a palm sugar joke, like palm sugar. That's great. Yeah. You didn't even see what I was doing. I couldn't it's care a joke this that doesn't, just... It's a visual joke does not communicate on the podcast. Uh, Littlest Pet Shop. This is a Walmart exclusive. Uh, it comes with a really stupid little tiny uh, Zoe Trent collector's pack toy and trading card thing inside. And uh, I really don't see the point of this. Uh, my daughter didn't particularly enjoy it either. Paid no attention to it whatsoever. So um, this is from Shout Kids. Maybe your kids like this kind of animation. Uh, she really doesn't. In point of fact, today, while she was eating, I showed her a little bit of the Powerpuff Girls. Nothing. Nothing. No reaction whatsoever. This is the look on her face watching Powerpuff Girls. Well, she was and looking then, at you. And then you know what I switched to? I switched to a Gilligan's Island rerun. She started laughing. You know, I saw... Gil- started, That's my daughter. The, gene, the genes passed on. I she know loves which, Gilligan's Island. I know which Gilligan's Island you watch, because I was flipping the channels today, and I saw the Gilligan's Island where the butterfly collector comes yeah, to the island. That's Is that the one, one you're watching? That's the I one. I watched the same one. And then you know what I realized? I watched it for like oh five gosh. minutes, and, and you know what I realized? What? Gilligan's Island, not funny. Not funny. Not funny. We see because you don't have our genes. She was laughing. I was laughing hysterically. It was funny when I was thirteen. Not funny. Oh my gosh! It's still so funny. Not funny. The best. It's the best. 
absolutely the best. Look, tell me you don't love this line when Thurston, Thurston, Thurston Howell walks in and he says, Oh, I must say, you look like a million dollars. Would you like to care for, try for two? Not Come funny. on. Not you look like a million dollars. Would you like to try for two? Not funny. Come on, it's great. Not funny. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. <laughs> That's funny. great writing. Not funny. So good. Some great compositions in there, too. There's oh. like a shot of Gilligan oh, and the Skipper. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's like David Lean. <laughs> Um, the SpongeBob SquarePants, Patrick SquarePants. This is from SpongeBob and Friends. See, they cross out SpongeBob. It's Patrick SquarePants. Do you see? How can coconut palm sugar <laughs> taste that much different from regular okay. palm sugar? Anyway, uh, this is anyway. This is basically just a uh, a bunch more episodes of uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, Big Pink Loser, Secret Box, Karate Star, Big Sister Sam, Dunces and Dragons. A lot of fun stuff. I, you're not a fan, but you know, I I, I realize that nothing I say is going to dissuade people from uh, from loving it endlessly. Um, some superhero stuff. Additional superhero stuff. Wolverine versus versus Sabretooth. Uh, from the Marvel Knight series in one of the little eco-packages. Um, you know what, this, uh, it, it's, this is done more in the comic book style, so you have the proper costumes and the whole thing, and you know, the, uh, this is from, from Shout through their, their contract with the Marvel Knight stuff, as opposed to the uh, Wolverine and Sabretooth deal from the movie, which featured Liev Schreiber as Sabretooth. You remember that, right, in the, in the last Wolverine Origins movie? Yes. Yeah, that was pretty vicious, right? This is not bad, actually. It's not bad. And this, of course, is a, an endless, you know, brother-against-brother brother grudge match that's been done in the comics for ages and ages. And it's really nicely animated here. And uh, it's a pretty decent script. So, uh, you know, fans of the comics will, will appreciate it. Fans of the movie will probably be a little bit thrown, since it doesn't really follow that same narrative. Uh, Iron Man and Hulk, Heroes United. Uh, this is a Blu-ray, DVD, and digital copy combo set. That is not a, um, a, an ultraviolet uh, digital copy. And uh, this is a little bit more dense than I think needs to be in terms of the, the story. But, uh, you know, the, um, the whole idea of this Zax uh, creature, which is like, you know, it's a whole, he's like, he, div- he eats energy, um, seems a little bit contrived. But uh, that said, I guess if you're, uh, if you're into the characters, it's not going to matter so much. And then the uh, Batman Brave and the Bold, the first season, is on Blu-ray. Not such a fan of this. The animation I find a little bit stiff, uh, a little bit clunky, and, uh, but it, it skews a little bit younger. So that's out there. And uh, let's see, getting through the rest of this as quickly as possible so we can get on to things that will not make Mark absolutely furious. Uh, tickety-top, the unstoppable, unpoppable bubble. Right? Done. Come on. It's for little tiny kids. Uh, My Little Pony. Which is a cute classic movie collection. Includes Princess Promenade, Dancing in the Clouds, The Runaway Rainbow, and Friends Are Never Far Away. I thought my daughter might respond to this. Uh, She doesn't even seem to really understand what a pony is yet. But this one we will hang on to. I'm sure she will completely vibe to it at some point. And uh, let's see. Sesame Street, Be a Good Sport. You learn how to be a good sport in this, Mark. Did you know that? Look at Elmo dunking the basketball. Then in that case, I will never watch it. You know, I've always loved this Muppet, The Worm. Who? The little worm Muppet. I've never seen that Muppet. You in my haven't life. seen the worm Muppet? It's well, the best why thing would I, I don't have kids. Well, why c- would c- I see little, that? A couple little sticks. It must be just just hell to control that thing because it's got a little mouth that moves, and you can see the two sticks that make it do the little worm movement. But oh. then there's other stuff going on. It's very intricate. Oh, more intricate than I think people uh, give it credit for. Uh, 
Uh, Geronimo Stilton. Uh, are you a Geronimo Stilton fan, Mark? I know who, you are, aren't who you? Who isn't? Ger- yeah, thank you. Uh, if you're a fan of the books, you'll probably completely enjoy it. If not, uh, you probably won't uh, get much out of it. But uh, it's okay. It's perfectly fine. It's, it's a, you know, a little bit uh, different than your uh, traditional American animation. Get uh, four episodes here. Intrigue on the Rodent Express, The Mummy with No Name, The Mask of the Rat Jitsu, and Starring Geronimo. Uh, and this is uh, for slightly older kids, I would say. Um, just given that it's a little more um, kind of, uh, you know, cr- crime-oriented. I'm fighting oriented. Um, let's see. Uh, Wings is a complete raging ripoff of the um, uh, Disney planes. That was the whole idea. Somebody said, hey, look, Disney's coming out with planes. Let's, let's get something out there really quickly that will uh, confuse them. And so somebody threw out Wings, and they hired Josh Duhamel, Hilary Duff, Rob Schneider, Jesse McCartney, and Tom Skerritt to do the voice casting. And uh, it, it's not that good, actually. But it's not with Rob Schneider. Yeah, I know, right? It, but it, it, it's it, you know, if, if you're two years old, it probably won't matter. You'll probably think it's the same movie as Planes. Uh, Lala Oopsie, which is a, a Nick show that kind of creeps me out. This is a, this is almost like if a, if a serial killer decided to do a version of um, South Park for children, they would come up with Lala Oopsie. It, it's this ragdoll animated stuff that just creeps me out. It looks wrong, it feels wrong, and it feels like there's a there's a subtext here that they're trying to uh, they're 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 trying to you know brainwash me into going out and uh, kidnapping children or something. It's not right. Care Bears, I have always found totally off-putting, and now they are trying to exploit the Sochi Olympics by having the uh, Carathon Games, and uh, I uh, I don't know. I don't know. The Care Bears with the little rainbows on them. Is that like, uh, is, is that like an anti-Sochi uh, gay rights message? Good time. Sochi, don't care. Olympics, yeah. don't care. Yeah. It's over. I kind of don't care either. Nope. I really don't. Dud. Um, speaking of uh, things we don't care about, you know, uh, Lego has been doing a lot of stuff on uh, DVD for the longest time. They've really been exploiting their, their brand. And this is Lego Legends of Shima, the Lion, the Crocodile, and the Power of Chi. Uh, which probably is what they will do the next Lego movie about. And uh, I don't know, when you watch this, I'm, I sort of, I'm like, weren't these once blocks that you built things with? How did this become this thing, that this animated, how did Lego, the brand, just go completely haywire and become this thing? Haywire, it's got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I know, but it's like, I don't get it. I don't get it, I just don't. I don't understand. I went to Toys R Us the other day, and there's like 19 aisles of branded Lego kits. It's oh, just, ma- oh, you really imagine that? Yeah, it's just... It's, I mean, wh- why come out with a Lego movie? It's just a big commercial for Legos. It kind of is. That's all it is. And uh, then wrapping things out, Jakers, PBS Kids, um, which I know is one of Mark's favorite. Mark loves the Jakers because he's all about barnyard animals. Mark grew up around barnyard animals, didn't you? Yeah, see? Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the adventures of uh, Piggly Winks, Wish Upon a uh, Wish Upon a Story, you, uh, Legends of Ralu, and Rock Around the Barn, and uh, basically it's just all uh, CGI animated barnyard animal stories. And uh, Mark uh, relates to that because he's all about the pigs and and the slop and and ducks and cows. And there you go. Uh, you know these are these are okay. They're they're kind of they're they're cute ish, but uh, there has been better stuff over the years. Um, it's, again, the skew is very, very young, uh, and is mostly you know stories about it's like Aesop's fable stuff. There's a message to every single one of these. And then, uh, very lastly, uh, another Barney uh, disc, story time with Barney, 
another Angelina Ballerina disc on with the show, and another My Little Pony. Um, oh, we covered the My Little Pony already. Never mind that. Uh, the and uh, Kumba. Uh, Blu-ray 3D and Blu-ray and DVD combo for Kumba. Now, Kumba is another one of these deals from uh, Triggerfish, uh, released by Millennium, and they, they all they're race basically doing is they're pillaging the um, what's the uh, the animated thing with the Chris Rock as the zebra deal? Oh, uh, the, 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 the Madagascar. Madagascar. They're just it's just a Madagascar ripoff. So. You know, there's uh, no reason to watch this unless you kind of feel like you just want to fool your children into thinking there's another Madagascar movie. Then you, then you there's it. not. You throw on Kumba, and uh, that's exactly what that does. But uh, you know, Jake T. Austin, uh, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Fishburne, Anna Sophia Robb, and Liam Neeson do the voices. So you know, it's decent, decent voice casting. Sure. I mean, Liam Neeson, right? Liam Neeson's Liam, who the uh, uh, the most surprising action hero, right? Ever. I yeah. mean, who, who thought that, like, you know, Liam Neeson, Rob Roy, Oscar-nominated... You didn't get my joke. Liam Neeson's? Liam Neeson's... You've never seen, you've never seen that sketch, the Key and Peele uh, sketch, Liam Neeson's? Key and Peele. Is that a thing? Is oh, that my a, gosh, Key and Peele. The two Comedy Central black guys that do the sketch comedy thing. Oh, that's great. They're like the American version of uh, Little, uh, yeah, Little Britain. Great. That's great. You, you've ne- you, come on, we've talked about Key and Peele. On the, you've never seen Key and Peele. Uh, that's correct. Oh, my gosh. Dude, L- look up... Just do, do this. Yes. Look up. Yes, Liam Neeson's Key and Peele. P-E-E-L-E. Look it up. Go get it. I want you to watch it and enjoy it. And, in the mean, and, and while you're doing that, I'm just going uh, to get us started on new movies. How about that? Just look that up. Um, so first thing I'm going to mention is an animated thing, which dovetails perfectly well from our, uh, our family stuff, Free Birds. Uh, voice casting by Owen Wilson, Woody Harrelson, and Amy Poehler doing principally the stuff here. Uh, Freebirds is actually surprisingly not bad. This is uh, from the uh, the Shrek people, uh, or some of the animators involved in Shrek, and uh, it's released by 20th Century Fox, and it's got kind of a kind of a strange Angry Birds vibe to it. Um, it basically, about a couple of turkeys who go back in time uh, to somehow try to stop turkeys from being slaughtered for Thanksgiving. I thought it was uh, perfectly charming, very clever, and uh, surprisingly really, really good, and really should have been a, a theatrical release. I don't know why it wasn't. Blu-ray, DVD, and uh, Ultraviolet on this. You even get a few extras. Uh, nothing particularly noteworthy. It's just a music video and some featurette stuff, but I thought it was quite shockingly fun. Did you find it? Yes, I did. It's funny, right? I, I'm... I'm attempting to engage with okay. the podcast and not right. watch clips. Okay, fine. All right, carry on. I'm gonna. We're, we're doing. Uh, we're doing new movie stuff. So let's. Ender's uh... Uh, Game is. Uh, you know, it's uh, not a great movie, but I expect a lot worse. It's pretty much the best you could hope for from a difficult source work. Uh, if you're going to turn that into a major motion picture, because it's really it's sort of like the Hunger Games, where it's about kids being trained to kill other kids. Yeah. You know, and, and that's always kind of difficult. But here, it's a, it's more like a kid empowerment thing, where this young kid na- uh, played by uh, Asa Butterfield, who was in Hugo, and I don't think this this kid really doesn't give me much. I, I'm not don't think he's that great. He uh, he plays Ender, and he goes through the ranks of this uh, militaristic government as they train youngsters to uh, to train for an invasion by an alien species, and it's got a great twist at the end, which anyone in the book will know about. But um, 
it's not that bad. My only issue with it, I mean, a lot of issues with it, but my main issue with it is that it's just a bunch of training simulations. And after a while, that doesn't really mean a whole lot. I mean, at some point, he meets uh, um, this other recruit played by Haley Steinfeld, who was so great in Trip right. Uh But their relationship doesn't really mean much. Probably the big draw here is Harrison Ford as um, as the big uh, Colonel Graff, the single-minded, you know, cold-hearted Ooh, guy yeah. who sends uh, Ender through his paces. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see Harrison Ford finally realize that he's not a leading man anymore, take character parts, take, you know, the character roles, supporting roles. It's kind of nice to see. But yep. ultimately, I think Ender's Game, although not bad, um, is doesn't – like, it didn't really do that well. I can't really see a sequel to it coming anytime soon. It's a bunch of books, uh, right? It's a bunch of books. I yeah. just think it was too much – too many training simulations, you know, not enough moral complexity. It just was kind of there. Yeah, you know, they, this is this is another one of those projects that's been around forever, right? I mean, they've been trying to make this into a movie for decades. Well, I mean, those... the, the, the the book came out in 1985, so that's decades. That's it's 30 20, years. I mean, that's almost 30 years. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but the thing been... is, that I'm sure what made this movie happen is the Hunger Games because they're very similar. Speaking of, I, I, am I the only critic yes. on the planet who liked Vampire Academy? Yes, you are. Come on. It was completely. It was completely fun. It was a total. I mean, give me. A, it's a, I said on NPR, it's a pastiche, but it knows it's a pastiche. It's it's like look, we're going to be a little Harry Potter, and we're going to be a little uh, Twilight, and we're going to be a little Underworld, and you know, come on, give it up. Ugh. Okay, uh, a couple of movies that think they're a lot better than they really are. Um, one of them, however, is still good, and the other one is just not good. Museum Hours. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Fluff. People. Oh my gosh. People are like, oh, Museum Hours. It's so wonderful. It's just so fantastic. I wanted to slit my wrists. I really did. I wanted to put a bullet through my brain and just end the pain as soon as possible. Um, this, is, this is unbelievable. This, the whole, it's just about like two people, one of whom is a museum guard, uh, just talking about art. It's like my dinner with... Really, truly, unbelievably boring. Um, it, but it, it thinks it's really a great meditation on, on everything, and it's not. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, yet another version of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, this one actually, I, I enjoyed. It, it's trying to be both a more a simultaneously more faithful but more modernistic take, even though it's still period. Uh, written by Julian Fellows, who who kind of free free freely adapts the Shakespeare. It's you know it's not Downton Abbey version of Romeo and Juliet. People shouldn't think that, but he does a much more free flowing adaptation of the Shakespeare than I think most people typically do with Romeo and Juliet. And uh, it's directed by Carlo Carlei, the Italian director, who, who does okay. Um, he holds, pulls his style back a little bit. Beautifully done, all in all. Uh, very nicely cast. Haley Steinfeld, surprisingly good as a very young Juliet. And Douglas Booth, very, very good as a young Romeo. Um, it just doesn't really bring you anything new, particularly. I, I think maybe the second best version I've ever seen, but nothing touches the Zeffirelli film. It's just that's still the pinnacle of all of this. People were very unfair to this film, however. They, they, they ridiculed Julian Fellows for taking too many liberties with the text. And it's like, have you seen any, any of those, those Olivier films lately that you guys love so you much? You hate when people take liberties with, with any text. You hate that stuff. Well, no, with, with Shakespeare. You, you want look, to be faithful. With, with Shakespeare, no, you, have to, you, you do have to sort of make it cinematic. I mean, you can't just do a straight adaptation of Shakespeare. You wind up with Kenneth Branagh's four-hour Hamlet, which is a slog. I love the movie, but it's a slog. You know, there's a reason why, why that movie made no money, and, and no one has done a movie in 70 millimeters since. The reason being, you know, that, that best picture of, what was it, 1941, was it? Was it 41 when Hamlet won? Yeah. Is that 41? I, I, I can look that up for you. I'm it's 41. Pretty much as little. Uh, sure I mean, not one best picture, because it's, a, it's like half, the, he cut out half the text. 
and he he made it cinematic and you know well, same he, with, well you have to cut out same with richard the third same with richard the third and all these you know i mean you know you have to do that so it's not a fair criticism anyway it's as beautifully done it's on blu-ray and uh, ultraviolet and it really really looks good if nothing else it is gorgeous looking so um you know at least rent it if you're if you're a shakespeare fan oh right, wait here's your surprise um recommendation of the week yeah Crystal Fairy and the Magical Cactus. This is with Michael Sarah, who actually grows up, if you can believe it. Uh, this is from last year. It did nothing. No one ever heard of it. But it's a it's an interesting little, uh, it's a pretty funny little road movie. And Michael Sarah is very good in it. He plays a uh, American expatriate traveling through Chile. He's trying to find this magical cactus that has hallucinogenic properties. Mm-hmm. And while doing that, he runs into a character played by Gabby Hoffman, and they run around Chile trying to find this cactus. Is Gabby Hoffman naked in this movie? Yes. Oh, God. No, he's not naked in this movie. Gabby Hoffman, it's not the Gabby Hoffman from, like, the 60s. No, 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 that's like, Abby Hoffman. Yes. I'm just making sure that yeah, okay, you're not good. getting them mixed up. Good. Um, anyway, I thought this movie was terrific. It's pretty funny. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty fascinating. It's it's not what you think it is. Michael Sarah actually looks like he might be on the road to growing up in this movie. Uh, so I thought it was interesting. Interesting movie. Kind of trippy, cool. kind of cool, cool, very engaging. Nice. Um, rambling, but kind of in a charming way. I liked it. What's it yeah. called again? It's called Crystal Fairy. And the Magical, Magical Cactus. cactus. Okay. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton attempted to make a comeback in the movie Jane Mansfield's Car. I didn't think this was bad. I think people were a little harsh on this. I'm a big fan of Billy Bob. I thought this was I okay. Do. I like Billy uh, Bob. It was. It was fine. I mean, it's not. It's. It's. It just. It was. It was very. It was very safe, but it was nicely acted, and you know, it was pleasant to watch. I wouldn't want to own it necessarily, but it's. It's worth watching. Really? Yeah, it's worth watching. I don't know. I just was not a big fan of this. But anyway, uh, Wade just gave us his opinion, so here's yeah. about mine. It's on, it's on Blu-ray. It's, it's, I mean, Robert Duvall always... It, that's the thing. Robert Duvall is in anything. I'll watch it. Really. I will. Um, now, we need to talk about All is Lost. Yeah. Because Robert Redford was screwed out of an uh, Oscar nomination. Eh, he probably you came know, in sixth. J- he did, probably. seriously. He so J.C. Chandor, whose last film, Margin Call, had lots and lots of words... Now he switches it up with All is Lost, <laughs> right. a movie that has very few words. Yeah. And uh, it's great. I thought this movie was just terrific. It was, it was, it's very similar to Gravity in the sense that uh, there's very little dialogue. Robert Redford holds the screen. Uh, you know, very few actors can pull that off. True. Because he is Robert, he is, he is just a living icon. He is. As he lets, you know, because he hasn't, he hasn't really acted a lot. And he's in his 70s now. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he would let his weathered, beaten, older face just... Be right there on the screen. I, you know, here's what I'm going to say about All Is Lost because it it's, it it took a little bit of heat, I think, unfairly in the wake of Gravity because it's kind of the same deal, right? They're both movies about people who are stranded and they need to somehow get rescued. One of them's in orbit, one of them's lost at sea. The whole deal, right? And and people are are, are kind of drawing comparisons between the two. And and yes, Gravity is the more impressive film. It's also the more expensive film. Gravity is like ten times more expensive than this. What Shandor does here without CGI, just with cameras in the interior of a very controlled set of a boat. I mean, that's all on a stage, folks. They didn't really go out to sea in most of that. There's a lot of sea stuff, yes. But otherwise, it's tank work. And it's, you know, on a set with a lot of controlled, you know, water tanks pouring water into the, into the boat. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's superb filmmaking. And it's incredible planning. And Redford is great. But here's the thing that I, I point people to if you're going to differentiate between these two movies. Gravity got released in China. You know that, right? 
Is that a surprise? Because you know, in gravity, and is this there, gives. Is, is, is there a Chinese space station? Well, that's the whole is thing. She, to save the she's, world? Yes, because you know the Russians caused all this mess, and then the American crap all blew up, and they've got to make their way to the Chinese craft in order for her to get home. It's the lifeboat. The Chinese save the day, right? I mean, tell me that wasn't calculated to like get to sell tickets in China. Um, in all is lost. Do you remember how this movie starts? Oh yeah, he. Uh, what damages his boat? Yes, what basically this sinks it? Barge in? thing. That it's it's a shipping container, container that fell off of a Chinese ship, yeah. filled with uh, like tennis shoes. shoes. Or something, yeah. yeah. Okay. The message here being that the Chinese, the Chinese and their cheap uh, crap are sinking the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a big metaphor for what the Chinese are doing to everybody. That is true. Uh, it, it's it's the most glaring metaphor in the world. So uh, uh, on that account, I think one of the films panders to the Chinese, the other one gives, throws them the bird. And for that alone, I think All Is Lost is a much braver film. Um, and I give it all the credit in the world. And I think Redford is superb in it. And I don't care if he didn't get an Oscar nomination. I think it's a, it's a very good film. I think it's definitely worth checking out. Blu-ray and Ultraviolet. And uh, well worth watching in Blu-ray because it is really, it is sharp. Uh, bl- go ahead. Carry on. Carry on. I really, really wanted to talk about, and while we were here. Okay. Kate I'll let you Bosworth. do that. Yeah. Kate do that. Bosworth, an actress who just never really, it, she never reached escape velocity, really. Mm-mm. You know, she blew it in Superman Returns, poorly cast, not her fault. What are you going to do? Oh, but man, when she played Sandra D in. Um, Beyond the Sea, what it's called? Beyond the Sea, with Kevin Spacey. Yes. The dance sequences in that movie, tell me they weren't to die for, when Kevin Spacey is just <laughs> well, that, is hoofing it. Well, that's how she wound up in Superman, because I know. she had worked with but Spacey. Y- and, come on, Kevin Spacey just hoofing it in big in big production numbers? That's what you always wanted to see, right? It's the worst. That, anyway, that, Kate Bosworth plays... kind of a guilty uh, pleasure to me. No one cares. Anyway, Kate Bosworth plays this uh, young woman who accompanies her husband on a business trip, and uh, she winds up learning a lot about her grandmother's World War II experiences yes. while there. And I uh, knew it. I just think this thing is a very uh, boring, uh, romantic kind of melodrama. And the marital crisis at the center of it uh, doesn't really resonate with me. Maybe because I'm not married. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just thought it was boring. Boring, arty, pretentious, not into it. And while we were here... Also not into it is Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters. This is sort of a B-level, uh, you know, uh, you know, kid-targeted wannabe franchise. It's about uh, this guy named Percy Jackson, and he's uh, he's guys facing a sea of monsters. Wait, <laughs> I don't see how they're ever going to do more of these movies. I really don't. I, I don't. They just they, they this is not taken off. The, the whole young adult thing. They're exploiting too many book series now. They really do. Well, the Much one as that, I enjoy the Vampire uh, Academy, I really will be. I, I, I'm not sure they're going to be able to get any more of those made. Well, the big which one disappoints me because I, I thought it was thoroughly entertaining. Well, the big one is Divergent. I guess Divergent is that'll like, be big. That will be big because know, Shane, Lee, Shane Lee Woodley is popular because she did you know American Teenager on television, and then she's become kind of a big deal on in movies. And I think they figure uh, she's kind of got she's maybe not Jennifer Lawrence, but she's got a Jennifer Lawrencey thing going, kind mm-hmm, of right. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of on that trajectory and just waiting to break through. And I think people like her. I think she has a following. So Percy Jackson, uh, come yeah. on, guys. Come on. Be honest. Yeah. Yeah, stop that. Yeah. So, Mark, I'm going to tell you something. One of these days, you're going to jump in your blue caprice. And you're going to look on the map. And you're going to go, I want to, I'm going to go first to Austin land and then to Jutopia. Jutopia. That's where that's, I live. That's how you know the next three movies I'm going to talk about. First of all, Blue Caprice, which is not on Blu-ray. It's out only on DVD. 
Good movie. Good movie, but it tanked, and the critics were horribly cruel to it. Uh, this is the story of the DC snipers with a stunning performance by Isaiah Washington as the sniper, uh, you know, John Muhammad, and um, uh, Taquan Richmond as you know the the the, the kid Lee uh, um, Lee, Har- Lee Harvey Oswald. No, Lee Malvo or whatever. It was. Lee Malvo. Uh, you know who uh, that he kind of took in under his his arm, sort of a semi adopted uh, kid, and you know from the Caribbean, and you know turned him into a monster. And it, the the movie is very austere. It's not sensationalistic at all. Not sensationalistic at all. And the interesting thing about it is, it's not about the sniping. Um, rampage. It's about their relationship. It's about their relationship, and it's about everything that led up to it. The sniping rampage is like the what the last ten, fifteen minutes of the movie. That's right, French like, director. Yeah, I mean it's it's really a fascinating approach to the subject matter, and most people just didn't even you know. No, Alex, they wanted uh, people screaming in the streets. Yeah, they the did. Sniper they really people. did. They didn't want something. They wanted that, was, that 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 telescopic sight shot. Yeah, where he's like looking for someone to shoot. Yeah, they didn't want something that was much more character intense yeah. and uh, really incredibly well done. Uh, yeah, so Alexander Moore is the director. Uh, does a fine job. Will do other great work, I'm sure. Um, took a very interesting approach to this. Tim Blake Nelson uh, is particularly good in this. Haven't seen him in ages, and I thought he was really, really good. And um, yeah, I, I just found it really compelling. Isaiah Washington, of course, is, you know probably could have had an Oscar nomination if he weren't such an unbelievable hostile jerk to so many people. But he has a real reputation uh, for just being unworkable, and it's well, too bad. His career, he's finally getting it back on track. He, yeah. they, they kept him in the dungeon for years. Yeah, he's just still, he's not, he's not easy, man. He's really not easy. I've talked to people who've interviewed him, and they, they dread it. Really? They just they just dread it because it's almost like it's like so uh, how are you doing today and then, and he'll like he'll bite your head off like every question is just resented you know he's he's got to kind of take a take a chill pill because he's a really talented actor I mean he's an amazing actor and maybe it's that intensity you know that that feeds the performance so maybe that's what you have to live with I'm not sure what being a jerk is getting him career wise eh, like well. it's getting him nowhere Austin Land oh my gosh I wanted to like this movie I really did. Um, you know, this is directed by Jerusha Hess, who it's her directing debut. She is, of course, Jared Hess's wife. She wrote Napoleon Dynamite and all the rest of the stuff that he's directed. They co-wrote it all together. And um, this is her directing debut, and it is produced by Stephanie Meyer, who did the Twilight movies, of course, wrote the Twilight novels. And uh, it's supposed to be their kind of, you know, girl power moment. And I got to tell you, I just, it feels kind of clunky. Carrie Russell is this woman who's obsessed with Jane Austen. And it's all about her looking for love in this bizarre fantasy theme park experience called Austin Land, where you get to pretend that you're a character from an Austin novel. That's awesome. It just, it doesn't quite rise to that flight of fancy feeling. It just, and it never, it never feels absurd enough. It never feels romantic enough. It just feels kind of austere. And And it does have that kind of Napoleon Dynamite vibe to it, but that's not the vibe that it needs. Carrie Russell is lovely, and Jennifer Coolidge is just desperately needed uh, comic relief, as she always is. But everything else just kind of feels turgid and stillborn, and it's just it's kind of too bad. Because if you love Jane Austen, go watch an Austen movie instead. Uh, Jutopia is an absolutely appalling movie. I don't find it racist like a lot of people did. I just find it appallingly stupid. Uh, you didn't see this, did you? I did not. Oh, my gosh. I, I, you... I, I live it every day. <laughs> it, it's... This was a big play in Los Angeles. Do you remember this? 
I, I mean, this was maybe 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago or something. This thing was a gigantic hit in West Hollywood for forever. It was, I mean, this, this must be one of the longest-running plays in Los Angeles. It must be like second to Phantom of the Opera or something, it, 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 or Les Mis. I don't know. But it, it just played forever. And I remember people were like, oh, you've got to see Jutopia. It's so hilarious. You'll be speaking Yiddish when you walk out. And it's like, what? Yon. Are you serious? Like, with the letters from Autopia at Disneyland? I don't get it. What's the deal? Anyway, it's just a dreadful movie. It must have been a better play. Um, Ivan Sergei, who's, you know, an, an, an okay actor sometimes. Um, you know, he was he was on uh, he was in Charmed, and he was also on that Jack and Jill series at one part. You remember that Jack and Jill? Oh uh, yeah. yeah. How do you know all these shows? I don't know. I got crap in my head. I, I you know I was just, crap in your head, all right? No, nah, anyway, he's you got so crap in your head, he's right? a, basically he's a guy he's a guy who loves Jewish women, but he's not Jewish himself. And then he has to convince his lifelong Jewish friend to like teach him how to be uh, how to act like a Jewish guy, so that he can capture the woman of his dreams, who is Jennifer Love Hewitt, who's this adorable little Jewish girl who's got the cutest little Jew beak. Oh, isn't that funny, a little Jew beak? Oh, that's such a funny joke, a hearty har. It's a dreadful movie, um, but you know, it, it it was a hot play. So I guess if you're a Jennifer Love Hewitt fan, maybe there might be a reason to see it. But good grief, it just made me want to scream. Jennifer Love Hewitt. And then, uh, before I let Mark go on a couple here, uh, Naomi Watts and Diana, which tanked like uh, uh, like a lead balloon, man. This was this just Well, this collapsed. got ripped in the UK. Ripped. Oh, well, and I don't think they gave it a chance in the US. And I think it, it's a better movie than people are giving it credit for. It's shallow. It's a little schmaltzy and melodramatic. And it's not insulting. It's a little too reverential. But Naomi Watts is really good. And, you know, yeah, I know everything that happens here. I mean, there's nothing particularly new in the story, but Oliver Hirschbiegel is a really good director. I mean, he's a German he director. He's a fantastic director. And you get the sense that he didn't really get to do what he wanted here, kind of like with, the, uh, with his, his remake of... Um, of the Invasion uh, of the Body Snatchers. Invasion of the Body well, Snatchers. When, when, when you watch Invasion, his version... I'm dying of the, to see his version of that. I know, because there are, there are certain scenes where you're like, ooh, there it is. The movie he yeah. wanted to make. There yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then exactly. right after that, there's like some big panic scene where people are screaming <laughs> in the streets. And you know that that's like the reshoot stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, it is true. And I'd love to have seen his, his cut of this. Um, also interesting to contrast this with the, uh, the forthcoming Grace of Monaco movie in which her best friend, Naomi Watts' best friend, uh, 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 Nicole Kidman, plays the other princess, which is Grace Kelly, and directed by another great European director, Olivier Dahan, who did um, La Vie en Rose. And that has been the subject also of a, a violent discontent over the director's cut, as uh, Olivier Dahan has been fighting with Harvey Weinstein over whether or not to release his French director's cut in the U.S. Harvey pulled it from the slate, and then suddenly the film winds up getting opening night at the next Cannes Film Festival, wow, wow. which means that um, Harvey will probably win both ways. He'll, ha- he'll release Olivier's cut, but because it's the Cannes cut, it'll be like, you know, he'll have reason to say, well, this is why we did it. Just release anyway. Snowpiercer. That's all we care about. I know. Anyway, you get a Diana fashion booklet, 16-page fashion booklet along with this. See, that, 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 see, that's just cheap. That's tacky. It is tacky. It is tacky. I'll say it. It's, it's worth seeing for Naomi Watts, not much for anything else. Speaking of Naomi Watts, she's also in a film called Adore with Robin Wright. Now, you yes. think to yourself, wow, Naomi Watts, Robin Wright, sounds like a, a dream pairing. I love Robin Wright. Every Robin Wright performance is a gift because she's so they're, fantastic. They're, they're naked. And uh, they're naked in it. And, uh, but this thing is just preposterous. Um, it takes place in the seaside town, and uh, Watts and Wright are longtime friends. However, their uh, friendship reaches a crossroads 
when they each become sexually involved with the other's son. Wait. Okay. So well, that so sounds like one from Mother's Day. Let's hang on to that one. Seriously, throw that on for the whole family. So this thing is just a ridiculous nice. soap opera. Uh, you know, I mean, it looks nice. It's a beautiful seaside town where, wherever they shot it. But it's just silly. It just has no depth and no feeling. It's just, it's like a, it's like a, uh, it's like a twisted Harlequin novel. Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, not into a door at all. This thing is just silly. Uh, also silly is um, a movie that knows it's silly and doesn't mind that it's silly and owns its silliness. So that's why you should rent Escape Plan with Stallone and Schwarzenegger. This thing thinks it's it thinks it's from the '80s. It wants to be from the '80s, and damn it, I'm going to pretend it's from the '80s because it's got Stallone and Schwarzenegger doing all sorts of crazy fisticuff stuff as they try to escape the super secret uh, high tech facility called the Tomb. Where they've been imprisoned wrongly. Oh, uh, yeah. Come on, Stallone Schwarzenegger. Okay. Together again for the first time. They 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 were both in the, uh, you know, in that in in the, uh, the last two films. Huh. The uh, the 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 the, uh, the, 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 the Indestructibles. The, yeah, the, 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 the Expendables. The Expendables. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the Adventurer, The Curse of the Midas Box is a movie that probably could have done decently if they'd have released it theatrically. I think kind of a mistake that they didn't. But this comes from uh, the people at Image, and they, they're not exactly in the business these days of doing theatrical releases. I uh, suspect this was um, a conscious decision because they're making a really big push for this thing on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. This is the Blu-ray I have in my hands. And it's based on a book uh, by G.P. Taylor, author I'm utterly unfamiliar with, but the idea here is this is kind of like if you were to take, um, a, let's, let's say you're, you're to take uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's Kidnapped, variation on it, and uh, do it as a steampunk version of the, of the Chronicles of Narnia, this is what it would look like. Basically about a kid, his parents disappear, his brother disappears, and uh, suddenly he finds himself drawn into this magical journey, which is you know, straight out of Jules Verne, and uh, by way of you know, uh, the, the, the Narnia films. And uh, it, it's, it's not bad. I mean, you can tell in terms of production value, oh, there's a lot of money in it, but they also cut some corners in a few places. But still, even though the whole mythology of it is completely indecipherable and it, just, it, it's, uh, it almost goes from the sublime to the ridiculous at a certain point, decent cast. Michael Sheen, Lena Headey, Sam Neill uh, as supporting characters. And um, I got to tell you, this, this uh, Anurin Barnard, really good. Really good. Uh, Ian Griffin, uh, whose name I always mutilate because I'm sure there's some weird Welsh pronunciation for it, also really good. So, uh, you know, it's uh, not a great movie, but certainly better than a lot of these other, uh, you know, young adult things that uh, are just dreadfully horrible most of the time. And then uh, Two Jacks uh, is a Bernard Rose film based on a Leo Tolstoy story. And it's so interesting to me because Bernard Rose, this is the guy who started by doing Candyman. I mean, he was a horror director initially. And then suddenly he's doing stuff like Immortal Beloved and Anna Karenina. And suddenly he thinks he's, you know, David Lean. And he's making all these historical films. And, I, I and thought, yet he's not. And yet he's not. But he's, he's a, he aspires to better than what he really is capable of doing. And I respect that. I mean, I respect the fact that he wants to do really interesting work. And he's not doing, you know, crappy horror films. He's not doing what people want him to do. And Two Jacks is, is not as good as it should be. 
Um, partly because Danny Houston is in it, and Danny Houston just fouls <laughs> everything that he touches. But uh, why do we hate him so much? Uh, you know, but is he, he really that bad? Are, we, really, just being, no, are re- we just being unfair? No, he's really that he bad. Really, he, really he really is, is that bad. He, he's decent in some things. He occasionally will will get it right, but you know, it's like even a clock's right twice a day, right? Uh, he just he's just he's horrible. Uh, Sienna Miller, however, is quite good, and the direction is very good. And uh, Jack Houston is almost redeems the family. So um, you know, even though Danny is is pulling it down, everybody else is fighting against his uh, his his. Everyone is fighting his centrifugal force. Uh, very interesting. Um, a very interesting failure. I'll call it that. Is how I live now which is kind of a combination post-apocalyptic, young adult, Hunger Games, love story thing. Yeah. Uh, Shorsha Ronan stars Another as, great Welsh name. Yes. Stars as a uh, teenager who's living in this post-apocalyptic world, and she's American, and she agrees to stay with some friends in the UK, this, this like, cousin's house. And, uh, yeah, and then she winds up getting caught up in not only a romance, but sort of like the sub Hunger Games thing where she like winds oh, up yes. befriending a hawk trainer. Because, you know, when, when young girls fall in love, it's usually with a hawk trainer. Yes, it, it, it's always with a hawk trainer. But what I kind of liked about this is that it is an interesting environment that they're in, in that, yes, it's kind of young adult, and yes, it's kind of a stupid romance, but they kind of take the relationship more seriously than I thought. And I kind of thought that the whole post-apocalyptic setting was kind of felt a little unique to me. I mean, yeah. as speculative fiction goes, I think you can do a lot worse than How I Live Now, but um, uh, I think this it, it's one of those films where it's its its good enough where you think it should have been better. Yeah. But uh, what are you going to do? So How I Live Now, not bad. Not bad. And then uh, lastly... Wait, what did you think of my ice cream? It, it tastes like glue. God, what That's what I, I think. Where did I go wrong on that? You gave me a spoonful of spackle. Where? I'm not kidding you. Where did I go wrong on that? <laughs> you, you, know, you know what it was? I'll tell you what it was. There was too much plaster in it. Oh. That's what it was. Damn. Yeah, the drywall. You put, you put like uh, six ounces of drywall in it, and you were only supposed to put a teaspoon. Oh. See? Um, sanitarium uh, is what should be an absolutely stupid uh, kind of uh, uh, series of horror stories. It should be, it should be just a ridiculous uh, horror anthology. But instead, it's actually quite fun because of Malcolm McDowell. Because uh, Malcolm McDowell runs the asylum, and I got to tell you, in uh, if Malcolm McDowell is running a sanitarium, awesome, I'm in. You're in. <laughs> That's the only reason to tune in. That and the fact that Robert Englund uh, shows up, uh, also uh, co-starring uh, Lou Diamond Phillips and Lacey Chabert. Nothing new there, but I'm serious. Lacey it, Chabert, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Right, yeah. But uh, Malcolm McDowell running a sanitarium. That's it. That's all you need to know. It's actually a lot of fun. And uh, they, are you restarting your computer? How, you know, my, my computer, uh, it, it turns itself off uh, suddenly. What does really? that mean? Yes. Like it just did. It just turns itself off and I had to press the button to get it to start again. You know what? Because it's not turned on by you. What? I see? Wonder, well, hang on. I'm you waiting for the hard drive's going. No, no. It's not turned on by you. What I'm saying is your computer see, is I not... Just, I, it's not funny. I just turned okay. it on and now it turned itself off again. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. It's not into you. He's really not into you. And speaking of, that brings us to a subject of a couple of a uh, couple of films. Uh, for, it's not it's not Gay History Month. It's Black History Month. But I got a couple of gay themed titles, so uh, definitely worth talking about here. Bridegroom from Virgil, really 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 good uh, documentary actually, um, about two young gay guys 
who uh, have a six-year relationship in Los Angeles, and then it stops. And some of you may know this story. One of them accidentally died. Um, but it, it, you know, if you if you followed the whole Prop 8 thing and all of that, this was kind of a central story that was brought to brought up uh, regarding different legal protections for uh, married versus gay, um, you know, couples and uh, the differences in the way they're treated. Really interesting to watch. I don't care really where you stand on the issue. I'm not going to get political about this, but it's a good story and it's one that makes you think. And it's certainly worth knowing the story if you're ever going to have that conversation with anybody. And then from Wolf, uh, who primarily releases uh, gay-themed subject matter, is Pit Stop, which, uh, you know, a lot of these movies that go to uh, gay and lesbian film festivals are just, they're so parochial, they'll never have any interest to anybody outside of the gay community. This is one of, the, uh, one of those that uh, is very, very different. And uh, this has definitely got a crossover uh, feel to it. Very well directed by Yen Tan, who also wrote it along with David Lowry. And um, I think it's good to watch because it's just a really, really good acting workshop. And it all takes place in Texas and was a big deal at Sundance, and deservedly so. And uh, you should definitely check it out. Good, good, real solid indie vibe to that one. And then lastly, Mark, what are you doing? Why are you kissing your computer? Well, because I'm trying. See, it's it's rebooting that for the third time. I see. It keeps turning itself off. That's uh, that's. Now, does that mean the hard drive's dying or something? Uh, it probably means you guys need to go into therapy. Huh? No, I don't know what that is. Do a do a Google search on well, it. Well, I would if my computer would turn on. <laughs> <laughs> it just did it again. Uh, it just turned itself off. Uh, it's, it's time to go to the Genius Bar. No. Ask for their uh, family therapist <laughs> specialist. Uh, lastly, you know, uh, I would love to say more about the um, 3D Blu-ray of Marvel's Thor The Dark World, but they didn't send us the, the 3D Blu-ray. In fact, we have this ongoing problem with Marvel because they, they're so busy counting their billions of shekels that they cannot be bothered to actually send a commercial product to anybody, much less the actual 3D product. So um, this is what they sent us, Mark. This is what we got. This is our, this is our Thor product. Oh, it's a Blu-ray in a uh, paper in a, envelope. In a, in a paper envelope. So, you know, no packaging, no nothing. It's just the regular Blu-ray, not the 3D Blu-ray. Uh, and this is exactly what they did to us with uh, Iron Man 3, which is just grossly insulting. But they do this to everybody. So, you know, if any, any of our listeners have occasion to let Marvel know what they think of their, their cheapskatedness, because they are literally the only... Co- I mean, we deal with distributors who release very few DVDs, and they, they uh, you know see fit to be able to send us product to be able to talk about it to our audience. Marvel can't be bothered because uh, they're, they're just cheap beyond all comprehension. So, um, you know, let them know what you think because they really are shortchanging us and they're making it very, very hard to give you a proper uh, review of this stuff. But anyway, that said, I will say I enjoyed the sequel. I thought it was good. So did no, I. Not, yeah. as good as, not as good as the first one. But better than I would think it should, better than it should have been. Better than it should have been. By and the way, I went to the premiere to that. Premiere to that. Oh, you did? It was a huge premiere. One of See, the biggest I, I, premiere I've ever been to. I obviously missed that one because I'm, you know, taking care of no, a baby. But huge premiere. Yeah. And it uh, was good. Well, good. They they closed down Hollywood Boulevard because it was at the horrible, um, what's the, the horrible El Capitan Theater. Oh, yes. And uh, there was a party afterwards, which meant I got to get my free food on. And no one loves that better than me. Go. Mark? We got a few. Uh, we're going to wrap the show out with uh, some uh, classic films. RoboCop. Now, was this RoboCop better than the Criterion RoboCop? Oh, 
jeez. Because you know there's a Criterion Robocop. Yes, I know, I know, which is which is really good. And uh, this is the unrated director's cut. It is the same cut that you got on Criterion, which was not previously available uh, in in the uh, the 20th Century Fox uh, release. I got it. I, the, you know, the MGM. Tw- I mean, MGM and 20th are not the same company. The previously was MGM. Now it's 20th. Um, I gotta tell you, I. I would hold on just for the extras. I would hold on to the. Um, I'd hold on to the Criterion. I'd keep it, but you, you got to get this as well, because it's Blu-ray, right? Uh, and it completely remastered. Tons of new bonus features in here, which include you know it includes all this anniversary stuff, and uh, it's all really really good, and it's really entertaining, and it's worth watching everything in here, especially. Um, the uh, the storyboard segment that includes a commentary with Phil Tippett, who did all the animation in the film. Stop motion. The stop motion animation. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah, pre-CGI, right? And it looks, it still looks really, really good. I mean, it's just everything about this movie is so much fun. I'll buy that for a dollar. I mean, have we? Tell me, you haven't? You don't quote that at least once a month. Oh, of course, I, I, I buy that for a dollar. Absolutely, <laughs> and, and increasingly few people know what that is. It's so sad. No, I have not seen the new Robocop yet, but I, I would <sighs> hope that somebody would say. I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah, but it's not going to be funny. It's going to be funny because it references the previous film. Yes. In the original film, it's funny because it's this ongoing joke with this ridiculous commercial with the crazy guy and the girls, and you have no idea what it's about. Well, because like it, there, in, in the film, there's it's a just newscast. Absurd. There's a newscast that shows you how far society has devolved. It's, <laughs> it's just horrible. And, and I, you know, it just, it's great. This movie is just so incredibly great, and it's so wonderful to see this again. The the commentary that includes uh, Paul Verhoeven, Ed Newmeyer, and uh, John Davison, who is the one of the producers, uh, is great. Uh, it, best mainly because of Ed Newmeyer, because everything about the movie is Ed Newmeyer. I mean, Verhoeven does a great job with it, but Ed Newmeyer, both in this and in Starship Troopers, is the guy who injects that unbelievably sarcastic acerbic sense of humor about the way that things are going to be I and love Starship Troopers my favorite I, movie of all time Ed, love it I don't love know, Starship Troopers I just, I just don't know why Ed Newmeyer doesn't write more movies I just so enjoy his well, writing well he died 15 years ago oh my gosh I'm so sorry <laughs> so so I, I had no idea <laughs> it's okay anyway and then the Jungle Book Diamond Edition of course all the old Disney animated classics are coming out uh, steadily in uh in uh, you know these diamond editions, Blu-ray, DVD, digital, co- uh, digital copy, you know non-ultraviolet digital copy sets, and uh, you know a lot of people have issues because they've tweaked the sound and tweaked the picture, and yes, it's all kind of cleaned up and restored and yada yada yada, and the sound is unbelievable. But I'm sorry, it's just it looks incredibly great, and it's about as you know the movie deserves to look great. It doesn't uh, do a dishonor to the uh, the animation or anything at all. It's just fabulous. And uh, tons of bonus features here, most of them primarily for kids, but uh, it's worth it. And my daughter uh, found the thing a little bit peculiar. I don't think she knows quite what to make of, uh, of the animals yet, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all sh- it, it, I only showed her fragments of it so she'd see dancing bears and monkeys and things. But she'll, she'll get into it. It just really looks gorgeous. Wade, do you want to hear something controversial? Sure, that, go ahead. Uh, you, you do not think I would say? Controverse me. Uh, there's a new Blu-ray of Chicago out, the Oscar-winning Best Picture. Ah. And uh, Chicago? Yeah. Loved it. See, I, I did. didn't like it. I did. Loved didn't it. Didn't like it. Loved it. I love the story yeah. about, you know, this uh, celebrity, you know, crime, this no, celebrity I'd murder love, on I, trial. Love the songs. Uh, I even love Richard Gere, kind of controversial. I, 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 He's I, hardly I, a singer. I don't disagree with any of that. I just hate the direction. 
Well, I, I know. He's, really, he's kind of annoying. I, Rob Marshall just I blows. I just he think is. he's unbelievably untalented. Everything is over-edited. I know. And I'll, I, I'll give you that. Because the, his next film after that was the, uh, not the Geisha, the Geisha thing. The, yes. No, it was, was the Geisha, Geisha thing, wasn't it? Yes. Terrible. It was dreadful. No, it was the, um, no, what was it? It was the, um, <laughs> see, I would love to find out, but my uh, Oh, my your computer. Well, uh, yes. Well, all no, right. No, he did another film after that. That Wade is going to find out what the name is. Anyway, Chicago, look, this Blu-ray looks fantastic. If you've got the DVD, get rid of it. No, it was Memories of a Geisha. That's what we did. And then he did Nine. That was at Nine. Yeah, Nine was 2009. Memories of a Geisha is 2005. The, the best thing, when I saw Memories of a Geisha, I actually had to see that opening day. I saw that with Ray. Ray Green, who, you know, our, our friend who did Schlock. And, uh, and the best thing about that screening was that in the mid, like half an hour in, Two women behind us got into a fight, got into a horrible altercation because one of them kept kicking the back of the other woman's chair, and it, and it went from being like, "Ow!" and then screaming, and then there was this tussling in the aisle, and then ushers run in, and we turned around, and and for like fifteen minutes we were consumed with this this altercation and this assault that was taking place in the theater. It was so much better than the movie. And then we turned around, and there's there's you know Gong Li playing a Japanese again, and I I, I was depressed. Well, nine was just the most oh, over, nine just was over decadent, over edited, over everything. And End of the Woods ever. is going to be dreadful. Oh God. Anyway, but Chicago loved it. I admit it. Yep. Go get this new Blu-ray. In fact, Wade, you're giving this to me. Nope. What? Nope. You don't even like this movie. Nope. <laughs> it never gives me anything. Good. <laughs> um, End of the Sixth Happiness is a movie that I'm going to bet that uh, Mark has never seen. Huh? I'm going to bet Mark never saw In of the Sixth Happiness with Ingrid Bergman. Uh, is that the sequel to In of the Fifth Happiness? Oh, stop. Giggles. Uh, you know what? The, here's the thing. The, it's, it's totally dated. It's based on an Alan Burgess novel the, uh, called The Small Woman. Um, it, 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 you watch this and you just, it does not, it, it's got that whole uh, Pearl S. Buck kind of feel to it, right? You know, a Western-style melodrama set in, uh, in, uh, in some kind of Chinese period film. And, but yet... You know, it still it somehow works. There's a there's a certain kind of vibe to it. If you can get over the fact that Kurt Jurgens plays a Chinese man, um, which I know is a real stretch, <laughs> you can actually enjoy this. Um, but again, totally dated, but somehow still has a has kind of a, a cool vintage Hollywood vibe to it. And Robert Donat also shows up in the movie. Isn't, Robert Donat? Yes, exactly. Isn't terribly good. Uh, directed by Mark Robson, who was one of those uh, golden era, you know, workmanlike guys who did sort of second tier epics. And then lastly, we will go out on the new uh, Rocky Heavyweight Collection, which really didn't need to be released. This includes the uh, new remaster of the original Rocky that isn't any really better than the previous one. This includes uh, Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and Rocky Balboa. Um, and uh, these have all been released previously on Blu-ray, and they look exactly the same. I don't really know any reason why you should get this, other than the fact it's a more slimline case, but it's got uh, a ton of bonus features, a lot of it not previously on any of the others, uh, and all of it is still kind of very reverential. Let me see, let me see. I like it. It's Rocky. You know what? Rocky, Rocky, all-time classic. Rocky 2, pretty good. Rocky 3 and 4, terrible. Rocky 5, they tried. They tried. You didn't like Rocky IV? No. It, I will Rocky, break Rocky, you. Rocky IV, The Voyage Home? Rocky IV. With the whales? Tried. That's the one with the whales, right? Rocky IV. Ro- Rocky II, Wrath of no, Khan? terrible. Okay. Rocky V, they tried. Rocky IV, uh, Rocky Balboa, I kind of liked it. I felt that Stallone, actually, he, he, he left it all on the table. 
He did the best he could for his age and his and that place in his career and in his life. He did pretty good. Yeah. It was a real movie. It, it kind of was. It, it sort it of was. was. It, was a I, bit, it was a bit of a limp send-off, but it, it was okay. I, I, I got to tell you, the franchise, even though I, I sort of like each of them in, in their own way, I, uh, for me, there are only two films in this, in this series. There are Rocky only two. Rocky 1. Rocky 1 and... Rocky 4. Three, come on, <laughs> Mr. T, Clever Lang. Hey, look, they don't, don't look at me. I pitched a show with Mr. T. I spent, oh. I spent a whole week with Mr. T driving. Eye of the LA. Tiger, man. I want this. Give me this. The Eye of the Tiger montage is one of the one of the best bits of any Rocky movie it's the ever. Worst. <laughs> that whole montage is fantastic. It's you can go onto YouTube and watch it. It's great. Give me this. Yeah, I get it. Yes, later. You give me anything. All right, that's it. The uh, the show is over, and um, we are we're you know finally catching up on our backlog. So you should start sending us listener mail again. We've been getting little bits of listener mail uh, trickling in. Send us listener mail. Send us Vox boxes. We want to get back on track with the Vox boxes for 2014. So send us your Vox boxes. Um, try not try not to make them too long, but uh, by all means send them in to gods at digigods.com. Gods at digigods.com. All your emails, all your Vox boxes, all your hate mail. Um, especially the hate mail. Especially the hate mail. We love hate mail. And with that, we are done, and we will see you guys next week.